The Old Testament passage this morning is Jonah 3, verse 10, through 4, verse 4. Oh, we got it up on it. It's not what's in your bulletin. Uh, as Jen mentioned, Tony's out. So we're not going to have the second Peter service that, sermon that we were supposed to have. Uh, Jen's going to be preaching from Jonah, which is next week's sermon. And if it's not as completely polished as it should be a week in advance, we'll give you some grace for that. Um, thanks for doing that. Um, because sometimes things don't go the way you think they should. Jonah 3. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? This is the word of the Lord. My name is Jackie Friends. Matthew 5, 43 through 48, which can be found on page 970. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbors and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is the word of the Lord. I'm going to talk about the fish today, because the fish is really just an object lesson. Um, Sorry, I just always get this wrong, and then taking off a mask messes it up. Okay, anyway. The fish is really just an object lesson in this much bigger story, which is about the incredible grace of God and how that grace, which we usually think of as sunny and nice, can be dangerous and overwhelming and offensive, even to God's own people. It's about a grace that is so big and so different from what we understand that it will throw everything that you think you know into question. It will take and shuffle all of your priorities, your loves. It will, arrange your, it will rearrange your life and turn the whole thing upside down. Jonah is about a gospel that is bigger than our prejudice and our opinions, bigger than our convenience and our comfort, bigger than our ethics, bigger than our safety. Jonah is about how God works... Is, Jonah is about God's work to restore the whole world to God's self. 
God's work to bring peace to this world of violence. And that how that work sometimes requires more from us than we think we can give. And it calls us to love what we would prefer to hate, to learn to see the world how God sees it. Um, I'm going to tell this story of all of Jonah for the first three chapters rather briefly, and then we're going to talk about the fourth chapter in a little more detail. Uh, The story begins when Jonah is told to go to Nineveh and to preach against it. He is a prophet, and God has a message, and Jonah is supposed to deliver it. And maybe Jonah has been obedient in the past, but this time Jonah hightails it in the opposite direction. He's asked to go to Nineveh, which is over here, and instead he gets on a boat to go as far as he can in the opposite direction, to Tarshish, which is a year's journey the other way. It's like some real dedication to not doing this thing. But even a year's journey will not get Jonah away from God. And God sends a storm, and so Jonah tries a new plan of escape. He tries to kill himself. He has the sailors throw him overboard. But even in the depths of the sea, God is there. And God sends a fish. Here's the part that we all know. It eats Jonah, and Jonah prays this really beautiful prayer of, you know, thanks for the rescue. And he is then vomited out onto dry land, right by Nineveh. He's given another chance to be the prophet that he is. At the beginning of chapter 3, he is again told to go, and this time he goes very begrudgingly. He drags his feet to Nineveh and preaches the most depressing, lackluster sermon that has ever been delivered. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's it. Eight words. No reasoning, no grace, no clever illustrations. It seems to me like he put forth the least possible effort. And yet, Nineveh repents. At the order of the king, they fast, they mourn, and they call on God, and Nineveh is saved. Hooray! But not so much for Jonah. Through all of this, the boat, the fish, the prayers, and the repenting, we had not been told why Jonah was so reluctant to go to Nineveh. And we don't find out until now, the beginning of the fourth chapter, where pretty much all of the action has finished, the reason why Jonah left, why he tried to flee to Tarshish. He hates Nineveh. He hates the Ninevites, and he wants them to be destroyed. But he knows too much about the compassion of God. He knew that as soon as the people even hinted at repentance, God would not send the planned disaster. And so Jonah doesn't want to give them that chance. But he did, and they turned, and just like he thought, God did not destroy them, and Jonah is mad. And so the fourth chapter, it seems like this strange addition on the book, because the book is full of action and excitement, and then this whole fourth chapter, a quarter of the book, is like, this weird discussion with Jonah, and there's a plant. Um, It stops being about great populations of people and repentance and storms and fish and cosmic powers and zooms in on Jonah and what Jonah loves. At the end of the passage that we, we read, God asks, is it right for you to be angry? And Jonah seems like a bit of a jerk in the story, um, and he is in some ways, Uh, But I want to take a minute to defend him. It actually makes a lot of sense that he would hate Nineveh 
And his anger at God's grace, I don't think it's that far-fetched either. Nineveh uh, was the capital of Assyria. In Jonah's time, Assyria was the enemy. In that time period in which Jonah is set, the 8th century, Assyria attacked, overthrew, killed, and enslaved several Israelite cities. Um, Here's what the book of Nahum says about Assyria. Woe to the city of blood, full of lies, full of plunder, never without victims, charging cavalry, flashing swords, and glittering spears, many casualty, piles of dead, bodies without number, people stumbling over the corpses. Who has not felt your endless cruelty? That is Nineveh. Jonah's anger makes sense. The Assyrians have killed and terrorized Jonah's own people, and it is likely that they will do it again. Of course, Jonah doesn't want God's grace for them. He wants justice, and he is mad. The love of God is offensive. It's not offensive because it's so small and it's only offered to a few people. It is offensive because it is big enough to include the Ninevites of the world. It includes the murderers and the abusers and the terrorists, everyone, everything. And part of knowing God is allowing our own love to be expanded to include our own Ninevehs to include the things that hate and hurt us. That's what God is trying to teach Jonah in chapter 4. Is it right for you to be angry, he asks. Is it right for you to be angry that I have loved the things that you hate? And Jonah doesn't even answer God's question. He goes and sits on a hill in the city to wait and see if maybe God will change his mind and bring disaster after all. He's still holding on to his hatred while God begins to teach him about love. And Jonah is sitting in the heat. While Jonah is sitting in the heat, God provides a plant to grow up over Jonah and shade him. Jonah had made his own shelter, but apparently it's not as good as the leaves of the vine. And Jonah is very happy about it. Uh, The Hebrew actually says something like, he delighted with delight over the plant. Uh, His mood is changed dramatically Uh, from wanting to die to delighting with delight. Uh, Maybe he's just moody. Like, I get that, I'm moody. Uh, (laughs) But maybe Jonah sees in the plant that God is still looking out for him, that he's not alone. We don't know. But with the vine, Jonah is happy for the first time in the book. But then, since God is teaching here and not comforting, God provides a worm that eats the plant, and it dies. And again, Jonah is livid. God asks, Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And Jonah says, like, yes, I loved it. I am so angry, I wish I was dead. It's like the third time, I think, in the book he wished he was dead. And so God challenges Jonah about what he loves. He says, you loved this little bit of creation, that you put no effort into, a plant that lasted a day. Can I not love this great city, over 120,000 people, and also their animals? 
And the book ends with that question. Jonah loves the plant because it made him comfortable. And he hates the people because they threatened Israel. At the base of it, Jonah's first love is not for God or God's good creation. Jonah loves himself, his comfort, his safety, his country, his people. And those aren't bad things to love in and of themselves. But it's a question of order. Which is first? What is your first love? St. Augustine says that the key to discipleship, the key to learning to be like Jesus, is to get our loves in the right order. And with that plant, God is showing Jonah that his loves are out of order. Jonah is a prophet which is a pretty respectable religious position, right? I imagine that most of the people in his home, at, at home thought that he, um, you know, had it right, that his loves were in the right order, that his first love was God and God's ways. And maybe he thought so too. But it takes being called to his enemies to show him the truth. It took Nineveh to show him. He loves his country. He loves himself. He loves God too, but not first. And Jonah is an instrument of the grace of God. You know, he's just played an important role in turning 100,000 people away from evil and toward God, and he is miserable because his loves are out of order. God is love, and we are made in God's image, which means that at the heart of things, we are first of all lovers. That's who we are. What we love will direct, our, will direct our decisions. It will direct what we do. If we love comfort, we will avoid anything difficult. We will run away from pain and challenge, and we will never grow. If we love safety, we will hate anything that threatens it. We'll probably love money for the safety that it brings. We'll be terrified of death and disease. You know, our culture is one that is obsessed with safety. Um, I have a good story about that. I'm not going to tell it. Okay. <laughs> a good way to figure out what you love, first of all, is to ask yourself what makes you the most angry. What makes you the most anxious? Jonah's loves are revealed by, by his anger when they are thwarted, right? What do you love? Jesus said you can sum up the faith with love God and love neighbor in that order. And then he went on to tell a story, the parable of the Good Samaritan, whose point was your neighbor is anyone you come across, including your enemies. And the beauty of this ordering of loves is that we really only need to get the first one right and all the other ones will fall into place. As you learn to love God, everything else will come. Because when you truly love someone, you start to love what they love. You know, when you get into a relationship with a person, you begin to understand their loves, right? Maybe their hobbies aren't your hobbies, but you start to appreciate them because you can see their love. Their family might not be easy or comfortable, but you learn to love because of their love. How much more so with the God who is love. Our love for God has to come first. 
because it is the only love. Only the love of the God who is love can arrange our hearts in such a way that our own loves can envelop the whole world. It is the only love that can include Nineveh. Jonah's love for himself, for his own country, they could never include Nineveh because Nineveh threatened those things. Our loves for our own happiness, our comfort, our family, our way of thinking about the world, even our loves for the least of these, none of these things are big enough to encompass the whole world. They cannot include it all because there will always be people or things or truths, ideas that will threaten their well-being. But a God who is love will arrange our loves in such a way that they envelop the whole world, even the difficult bits. And that doesn't mean we don't get to be angry about things. You know, that doesn't mean we don't hate injustice. But that hate is, is encompassed. It is part of smaller than the love. And that kind of stretching of our hearts to, you know, pulling them to be big enough, it can be really painful. Uh, I remember this theologian named Marva Don. Uh, I was listening to a speech of hers, and she said something like, don't you just love it when you have to do something that you're totally overwhelmed by and you feel like you don't have to have the skills for? Because then you have to lean into God. You get close to God, and you learn to depend on him and grow. And I was like, no, I don't. I don't love that. Uh, you know, I kind of wish I did, but I don't love it. Um, and her, her excitement was genuine. Like, I think she thought, generally, people will agree with me. <laughs> and I think that's a clear indicator that her loves are rightly ordered. And my reaction shows that I'm a little bit like Jonah. I can be smack in the middle of grace and totally miserable because my loves are out of order. Sometimes it seems like God asks us to give more than we can give. Right? That it's just beyond us. Like love and forgiveness for people who make our lives miserable. Or patience and contentment in overwhelming circumstances. Sometimes it just feels like more than we can give. But the key to joy in these places is having our loves in the right order. The key is learning to love what God loves. God is in the business of restoring the whole world. The good, the bad, the great city, the angry prophet, alone on a hill, and even the animals. If we want to be part of that project, there is no room for loving only ourselves and our own comforts. Our love has to be bigger than that. You have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? It's not enough for Jonah to love the ones who loved him because God's work of res restoration is bigger than just them. If Jonah is going to rejoice in the rege redemption of the whole world, his love needs to expand to include the whole world. 
even Nineveh. In order for us to truly rejoice in God's coming shalom, our love needs to expand to include the things that hurt us, that threaten the things that we love. And our love grows as we fall more in love with God and learn to love what God loves. In televisions and billboards and shopping malls and the internet, you know, they'll all tell you what you should love. But none of them are going to give you a love that is big enough to hold the whole world. Only God can do that. And that's the reason that we gather at church and that we study the Bible and that we do the hard work of community together. A community, anyone who's lived, you know, has been married or lived with a roommate knows it is hard, right? And we all know that in church. We just sometimes try to avoid that part of church. <laughs> it's hard work. But all these things help us to fall in love with God if we will receive them and work with them. The God who rearranges our love so that we can love the whole world, even our enemies. God loves God's whole creation, even the broken bits. And thank God for that. Because we are all of us broken. Jesus' love, big enough for his enemies, is what brought him to the cross. He didn't love his own safety or comfort or even his life enough to keep him from the kind of love that the world needed. The kind of love that each of us needed. We are welcomed into the presence of God. We are forgiven and accepted no matter what we have done, no matter what. And we can trust that because we know that God's love is big enough to include Nineveh and to include Jonah. Like, Jonah didn't get it all right. You know, he's not the perfect prophet. But the story and God's attention still zooms in on him, still works with him with a plant and a worm. Enough to call him to something bigger than his anger. Enough to attend to him specifically. The grace of our God is offensive. And it is beautiful and it is huge. And it's also so specific. God loves nations and animals and you particularly. And you are welcomed into a grace that will never, ever leave you behind. Thank the Lord that God's love is bigger than ours. And may God stretch our hearts that we, we might rejoice in that grace. That we too might learn to love all that God loves. Please pray with me.
Lord, I confess um, that there are people and um, groups who I wish you would just kind of smite. Um, who I might be tempted to not believe are within the realms of your grace. And we thank you um, that your grace is bigger than ours. And that we can know that we are all welcomed into it. And we can know that you are teaching it to all of us. May we be your people who love our friends as well as our enemies. Whose hearts um, are big enough for everything that you love. In Jesus' name, amen.